Hey, this is Robert Mitchell, and I'm here at High Tide in the Dreamtime. Uh, I think this is episode 38, and today's episode is going to be called Challenging Experiences, which is a pithy title, but it's really about an experience I sometimes have when I'm working with people. It's not as uncommon as people would probably think, but it's when people are in psychedelic states and they encounter parts of their consciousness that they probably were not hoping to encounter in their aspirations of their experience. Now, this happens not regularly, but it, it's, it's not uncommon. And what I'm talking about is, you know, people have psychedelic experiences, whether they be um, recreational or intentionally therapeutic for a variety of reasons. But more and more, you know, I find people want to be inspired. They want a new vision of life. Um, they want a new vision of themselves. They want a new vision going forward. And psychedelics can be really helpful with this. They can be really, they can really deliver that experience. However, there's no guarantee when people use psychedelics that, uh, that they're going to do that. And sometimes people experience, they encounter what I would describe as dread. And they, when I say dread, I say it's a state with emotions and thinking patterns that people often experience as negative in the, in, in, when they encounter dread. And, you know, I, in my experience, they're not negative because I've seen a lot of it. And dread is associated with what people sometimes describe as bad trips. And in my work with people, I do not believe in bad trips. I think that's a misnomer. I do believe that people can have challenging trips. And by challenging, I mean maybe more than they bargained for when they volunteered for these experiences. However, I also believe that challenging trips can be the best trips. Challenging trips can bear the most fruit going forward in people's lives, and I'll tell you why. Because 
We all like joy. We all like being comfortable. We all like approving of what we discover in ourselves. And for many of us, our whole identity, our whole personality, our whole egoic structure is built around maximizing positive experiences of ourselves. Not experiencing our negative emotions. Not experiencing negative memories. Not experiencing negative states. We're all trying to keep us or ourselves in an aperture that's tolerable and comfortable and successful. And we've all been doing that pretty much from the moment that we realized that we can exercise an influence on the way other people experience us and the way we experience ourselves. But this is a conditioned and reinforced state that is illusory. And sometimes when people experience psychedelics, their capacity to continue to reinforce these states that they prefer become disassembled and things come into their awareness that they would prefer not to experience. Now, sometimes these things are memories that they have kept from themselves. Sometimes these are feeling states that they have kept from themselves because they didn't want to recall them. They didn't want to, they thought by recalling them or, or, or allowing them that they would foment and they would become stronger. So they erect borders in their consciousness that their awareness doesn't go beyond. And when these borders are expanded into these states, which people often experience as negative or as a visitation of something they would rather forget about and not experience as part of themselves anymore, dread comes. And if anybody's in, you know, if I'm not being clear about what dreads like, there is a great Bergman movie, Ingmar Bergman, called Hour of the Wolf, that has an enormous amount of dread in it. It's not frightening, other than it reminds you of some maybe bad dream you had when you were a little child. And in that way, it is frightening. But if anybody's curious about the actual feeling of dread, that's a great film about it. Now, during 
psychedelic experiences when dread comes, it's usually the last emotion or the last memory or the last feeling state somebody wants to experience. But these, these experiences, these emotional states, these memories, they exist in our consciousness. Even if they're in the hinterlands outside of our normal awareness and they exercise an influence on us through their symptoms. And that symptom can be anxiety. That symptom can be depression. That symptom can be ADD or ADHD. It can be OCD. All of these things are ways not to experience the original dreadful state or the trauma of that dreadful state. So people who, are, who have OCD, they're, they're creating little rituals all the time, whatever they may be, if they're not stepping on cracks when they walk on the sidewalk, if everything's adding up to an 11, you know, that's to keep them from experiencing that which they're fearing in themselves. And that's one of the reasons why psychedelics works with all these things, because all of these things are symptomatic of a deeper wound. You know, there's a great book by Gabor Mate called Scattered, and it's really about ADD and ADHD, and it's really about how when a baby, when a, and a, when a really young baby is, is with its mother and it's not bonding, it's not getting warmth, it's not just getting an intuitive sense of what the baby wants and having its needs met, the baby starts going, what's going on here? What's going on here? Why aren't I comfortable? Am I not uncomfortable because of the light? Am I not comfortable because of the clothes I'm wearing? Am I not comfortable because I'm hungry? And then their mind just starts spinning. They just try and use their thoughts to comfort themselves because something that's primal and something that's instinctual in how they're supposed to be comforted isn't happening. So they're using their mind, their thoughts to try and comfort themselves. And that's a mind that's going to be spinning all the time, trying to figure out what's going on and why it's not feeling okay or at ease. So much suffering is the rejection of these negative experiences. And when people use psychedelics therapeutically, or even if they use them recreationally, I've seen this happen with people recreationally who thought they were going to have the best night of their life <laughs> at a Grateful Dead concert. And what visited was their worst fears in themselves amidst the music and the lights and the revelers, the darkest parts of themselves emerged. Now, having seen this a lot, I am never discouraged by it when people go through this. And here's why. Because people can have the most challenging 
experience of their life. They can literally say, wow, that was the five or six hardest hours of my life. It was like hell. I would never want to go back there. But nine times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10, where I've seen somebody have that experience and go through it and get some support in it, they will be in touch with me afterwards and saying, yeah, there was nothing pleasant about that. There was no joy in it. It was nothing like what I was looking for. But wow, do I feel peaceful afterwards, these days and weeks and months afterwards. I feel peaceful in a way that I've never felt before. Happens all the time. In fact, I know that if somebody encounters dread in their experience, that peacefulness is going to be a byproduct of their dread. And though that time when they're suffering in dread in these rejected parts of themselves and their rejected states is a small price to pay for the following benefits or the benefits that follow, which to me can be completely proportional, uh, a one-to-one relationship between the dread and the suffering. And the reason is this, is people exert a lot of energy in that constructed identity and in that constructed notion of what's allowable in their experience about themselves. And the things that they've been through that were difficult, that they're screening out by keeping their aperture a certain width, when that aperture widens with psychedelics and those experiences are included in their awareness, It's like a disinfectant. It's like shining sunshine on a virus. This thing that they've been exercising a lot of energy to keep out of their awareness that suddenly they become aware of and oh, it's not any better than it was when they last encountered it. It's dissipated by consciousness, by becoming aware of it, no matter how unpleasant it is, no matter how much they rejected that experience decades before, by becoming aware of it in the present moment, it drains it of all the power that it has. And really all the power that it has goes into the energy of the construction of the boundaries against experiencing it and then the maintenance of those boundaries. So when it comes into awareness and can no longer be denied, no matter how dreadful it is, the suffering that's stored in it is released in the moment, guaranteed. And it may take a while to make sense of this dreadful experience. But when it's made sense of, 
the experiencer will be rewarded with new insights, new energies that are no longer tied up in repressing this, which is what a lot of depression is. A lot of depression is I'm tying up a lot of energy and not experiencing parts of myself because they're too scary. So I don't have that energy in my daily life. I don't have that energy in my moments because it's tied down in the basement of my psyche, keeping a wrap on things. Well, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I was talking to a client the other day. You know, I'd worked with a couple clients recently, one who, who basically experienced Mardi Gras in their, uh, in their experience and just had a blast and thought it was visionary and fun and insightful and expansive. And it is. And then I had another client who experienced things and it's very challenging. And um, without joy and without revelation other than these uh, difficult emotions. And I felt in a way happy for both of them. Because the first who was, who was going to Mardi Gras, he was very inspired by that. And then my other client, I knew that these were experiences that had been that had his normal states constructed around and they lay outside of that. And I knew that my, my second client was going to derive equal value, equal benefit as the Mardi Gras goer. And I know why this works and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about one of my own difficult experiences, which I may have mentioned on another, another podcast, but I'll give it as an example. Okay, so I had this psychedelic experience. It would have been like seven or eight years ago. And I would say it was one of the few really difficult psychedelic experiences I, I've had. And honestly, the most difficult. Because like most people, when I approach those states, I approach them seeking wisdom and joy and inspiration and vision of whatever's ahead. That's always what I think is on the menu and I'll love that. But sometimes your order doesn't get to the cook because the cook thinks it knows better. What, what you need, I guess is one way to say it. So on this particular evening, I, I experienced what I could only describe as a stalled flash of lightning that was cold and indifferent and uncaring. That was excruciating. It was like an ice pick in my soul. And there was something in it that was so familiar, that was so, it was like deja vu. And I'd recalled that I had experienced this before, that it had been 40 years, 45 years, 
I don't know how long it had been, but it, it was exactly, it was something, it was a state that I remembered exactly. It wasn't unfamiliar, just I'd kind of forgotten about it because I didn't want to remember it. And it was the kind of thing where I was like, wow, I am never doing this again. You know, I am never going to have an experience like this again because this is the worst it gets. I felt helpless, felt frightened, I felt uncared for, I felt like, you know, as an indifferent universe that was ambivalent about my existence. And I and it lasted for hours, 5 hours, 6 hours, 7 hours. It was like the worst shiver that wouldn't end. And I kind of got up the next morning and, you know, the people who I was working with couldn't really help me and I just went, well, you know, Sometimes, you know, the house wins. You know, if you, if you have a few experiences, one of them is going to be like this. And I sort of like the next morning, you know, I felt okay. and just was like, wow, that was very difficult. And I continued. I have a meditation practice that uh, I've had for about 30 years. And to me, psychedelics and meditation is the same thing, except meditation is slower and more controllable. Most, a lot of the benefits are the same and meditation amplifies the benefits of psychedelics. You know, I've meditated a lot more than I've been in psychedelic states um, and I'm a big advocate for it. But anyway, so I, I'd say it was like two or three years later and I was meditating and you know, the way I meditate is I breathe I follow my breath through my body and I loosen uh, tightness, whether it's musculature or tendons or fascia, wherever I experience it, I try and breathe into it and relax it. And it's a lot, it's very much a hundredth of a millimeter by hundredth of a millimeter breath by breath endeavor. It's like dripping water on a stone. And on this particular afternoon, uh, I was working with some kind of cranial tightness, some, some muscles, fine muscles in my scalp, which I was always aware was pretty tight. And I kept breathing into it. And it's something I've been doing for years. And then at a certain point it opened and there was nothing behind it. There was no tension behind it. There was not another layer of tension. It was just openness. And at that moment, what I experienced was a thought. And the thought was neonatal nicotine addiction. And I'd never had that thought my entire life. Not for a second. I'd never heard of anything like that before. And so what happened was I got up and I Googled neonatal nicotine addiction. Googled it, Yahoo did it. I don't remember what I did. But what came up was, you know, I don't know, it was Wikipedia or, you know, gave information that basically said that when a infant, when a, when a infant was born addicted with a mother that smoked, 
it would be born addicted to nicotine. And the way that it received comfort was through a mother breastfeeding who had nicotine in her system through mother's milk that had nicotine in it because it was like a smoker. And if the, ba- if the infant didn't receive uh, breast milk from a mother who had nicotine in her system, uh, he, they immediately went into withdrawal, nicotine withdrawal. And um, I went, wow. I, I actually knew that my mother had um, smoked while she was pregnant with me. You know, it was the 60s and women did that. And my mom had sort of an addictive personality. So it didn't surprise me knowing that because I remember her telling me. And I also knew that she hadn't breastfed me because, you know, it's also something women weren't doing at that time. And I realized when I read that, that that night that I'd had a few years earlier, two or three years earlier, was re-experiencing nicotine withdrawal. Being a tiny physical being. I think I was about eight and a half pounds when I was born. Being about eight and a half pounds, about 20 inches long, and being thrown into nicotine withdrawal, probably in a bassinet in a room with other babies. And there really was no language during the night. It was all sensation. And it was all that flash white blindness. You know, I I don't even know if my eyes were open while this was going on. But I, it was so much suffering and it was so almost unendurable as I recalled it that night during that psychedelic experience. There was no, there was no language. It was just bright light. That's what I experienced and coldness. And one of the things that I read in the, in the uh, neonatal nicotine addiction was that one of the, um, the symptoms of it was tightened musculature and coldness and shivering. And when I read that, I thought like, well, that night was about being a day old, hours old, a real new baby and not getting the nicotine that had been part of my experience pretty much from conception. And I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but people experience feeling states in their psychedelic experience that are pre-verbal and non-verbal all the time. And it's often before they have language. And I think this experience was an experience where I had no language because at that point I wasn't using any language. I wasn't hearing language. I wasn't thinking in language. I just had sensation. And that startling experience of suffering had been stored in my memory and I didn't have language for it. I didn't have um, sensorial, you know, I didn't look around and see where I was because I don't think my eyes were open at that point. And I was, I felt an amazing compassion for myself when I realized what that night was. And I thought like, wow, imagine enduring that. 
being a day old or two days old or three days old. I don't know how long nicotine addiction takes to kick, but it probably takes a while. You know, and you see how hard it is for a grown adult not to smoke and how irritable they become when they have to give it up and how hard it is to do cold turkey. And there I was, probably August 5th, 1968, August 6th, 1968, August 7th, 1968, uh, going cold turkey with nicotine. And then, I don't know, 45 years later, 44 years later, re-experiencing that memory and that sensation and that suffering, which really felt unendurable. Like, it's the only time in my life where I thought, wow, if I had to do this all the time, I couldn't go on. And I knew there was gonna be a morning and I knew it wasn't gonna last forever, but it was literally unendurable. And what it basically taught me, I think, was how much I had already been able to endure probably by the time I was a few weeks old and how helpless I would have been in the face of that kind of suffering, but that I made it through. I made it through that kind of suffering, having so little physical, psychological, temperamental resource. Couldn't talk my way through it. Couldn't tell myself this was gonna get better. I just had to endure it. Just like I did that night when it revisited me. And the amount of compassion that realizing that gave me on that day when I was meditating, it, it gave me a, a kind of confidence that I could persevere and endure. And that night when I was suffering, I had nothing like that. I just recall that this was something that I'd always hated and I hadn't thought about in 45 years. And wow, does this suck. And I think people have a lot of experience like that where they experience emotions that they don't identify with, where they go, I'm a very positive person. I'm doing good things in the world. I'm a parent or I've got a successful company or I'm a successful person or got a lot of friends, really loved. And then from out of nowhere come these really incredibly negative feelings. And that's because we all choose to experience ourselves a certain way. And the things that are outside of that, we sort of put our blinders on to. And they can be really negative, but they can also be really positive. And I'll tell you why. Because out of that suffering of that night, what I also experienced was my wherewithal and the amount that I was able to get through on my own and that I was able to, to endure. And it showed me a strength that I was born with. And it created a confidence in me going forward from that day that whenever I think about that experience, I think of the wherewithal in myself that I was able to get through that. And I know a lot of people have probably been through things like that as really young babies. And a lot of people have been through a lot of things that would have been enormous suffering. 
And when you experience the suffering during a psychedelic state, it shows your metal. It shows you've been through something that you may not even choose to recall, but that you've been able to endure something that shows kind of an eternal strength. And that is the peace that comes afterwards, is connecting with that eternal, indestructible strength that could be there the day you're born, could be there when you're two, could be there when you're four, could be there when you're seven, it could be there when you're 37. But if you've endured and you're reminded of that you've endured, no matter how dreadful it seems in the moment, it can have amazing, far-reaching consequences and benefits. So what I want people to do get out of this if they've had really difficult experiences or if they have them in the future is to consider the incredible strength that's being revealed in having endured those experiences but having gone on to live lives beyond those experiences that were not destroyed by those experiences and nobody's going to be destroyed by a challenging experience if they're in the right environment where they're taken care of and looked after and encouraged. So I just want people to start thinking that no bad experiences, no bad trips, challenging experiences and challenging trips. And be careful. Psychedelics are not for everybody. And you don't want to find out they're not for you using them casually. Something that requires a thoughtfulness and a consideration and really a sacredness that needs to be contemplated before their use. All right, so this has been Robert Mitchell, uh, High Tide in the Dream Time. Uh, this is inspired sometimes by essays that I've written on my website which is www.goingquantum.org. Uh, and I've enjoyed making this and I, it's, it's been challenging. It's been a challenging podcast about challenging experiences, but I hope that it's useful to some people out there. All right, take care. Talk to you soon.